All right, well, today in Galatians, we're continuing to kind of look at the difference between the New and the Old Covenant, and, and specifically here the temple sacrifices, because this is how you can confess Yeshua Jesus and still be Torah observant. Uh, that seems to be a big question that people have is, how can you observe the law of God? How can you do that and still believe in Jesus? Well, the answer is, is because they are, they, they go together, but it doesn't seem to compute with people because of how we understand the Old Testament. And so that's what we want to look at here today. And to do so, we're going to take you to Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 1, to show that in the Old Covenant, there was a different type of requirement than there is in the New Covenant. And we want to show some of those differences when it comes to the sacrifices, that being the key here for this lesson. It says in Deuteronomy 17:1, do not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep that has any defect or flaw in it, for that would be detestable to him. And also in Leviticus 17:11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. So what we're seeing is that here are a couple of verses that are talking about what has to be there if it was going to be a sacrifice in the Old Testament. Number one, only clean animals could be sacrificed. Anything else was an abomination. This is why you don't see them sacrificing pigs. You don't see them sacrificing uh, rabbits or things like that. It had to be a clean animal. And the, the Torah is explicit about what animal and in what situation these animals were to be sacrificed. But in every case, all of the sacrifices had to be clean. Now, this is what Yeshua was. Yeshua, Jesus, was perfect. He had no blemish, no fault. That's why Pilate says, I find no sin. Nothing, this man is innocent when he washes his hands. The second thing here is we see in chapter 17 there, Deuteronomy, that it had to be perfect without blemish. No defect, no flaw. So not only clean, but without any flaws. Like I said, that's what Jesus had. And also then Leviticus 17 showed that it had to have blood. The life of a creature is in its blood. And again, all of these things are which Jesus had. He was clean. He was without blemish. And he had blood. And the power was in the blood. That's where we get that song, nothing but the blood of of Jesus. And so the power of life is in the blood of Yeshua. Now, this is what makes Jesus, as Hebrews says, an acceptable sacrifice. So we're going to take you back to Hebrews, which I think is probably one of the most controversial books that there is. I mean, when you, you can go and look at the Hebrew study, but the bottom line is this guy is taking the whole religious system and turning it upside down in talking about a new covenant, a new mediator, a new temple, all of these things of which Yeshua did while this temple system is, is still in effect. But let's look at this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. He says, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. Now keep in mind here in chapter 9 of Hebrews, he just finished a talk uh, talking about Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. 
And so he's playing off of this, showing that the old covenant was inadequate. It wasn't good enough. That these things were simply a shadow of good things, better things, the best things to come. And one of those differences showing why the old covenant wasn't good enough is that these sacrifices had to be offered continually every year. As a matter of fact, every day of every year. And he said that those things, however, he says that they could not, they could never make those who approach perfect. In other words, they could never take away sins. It was only a temporary condition, a covering, because it wasn't the, the final fulfillment. It was pointing to the final fulfillment, and that would be Yeshua. And it continues here in verse 2, For then would they have not ceased to be offered? In other words, they could have stopped making the sacrifices if it would have made the people perfect, if it would have taken away their sins. And this is vital for you to understand that so many people today think that in the Old Testament that they were making these sacrifices because it was through these sacrifices that they were forgiven, that their sins were taken away. No! Even Hebrews is telling us if you think that's what was going on in the Old Testament, you're wrong because it could never make those who approach perfect. Never did. Never could. Only Yeshua can do that. It continues here in verse 2. For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But, verse 3, but, showing you it couldn't do it, but in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not impossible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. I'm sorry, I said not impossible. It's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. It is impossible, not possible, no way that those sacrifices in the Old Testament could take away sins. So it is screaming out that there was going to be a better way than what the old covenant was, that these old sacrifices, and that better way is Yeshua. The, because the biggest problem uh, is that our sins in the old covenant were never taken away. They were only covered. They had to be repeated day after day, year after year. And so a great analogy that Daniel Joseph gives uh, is this, that it's like an EMT. You know, an EMT versus uh, a doctor at the hospital. An EMT is like that Old Testament sacrifice. When, when an EMT arrives on an accident, as an example, their job is simply to keep you alive until you can reach the doctor at the hospital. These old sacrifices were that EMT just keeping you alive, just being able to point you and saying, hey, it's okay, soon the doctor will be here. Yeshua. And, and that's kind of what was going on here in the Old Covenant. Now in verse 5 of Hebrews 10 here it says, Therefore when he came into the world he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. And so speaking of Yeshua coming into the world, he's quoting Psalm 40. Sacrificing, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Well, so, well why did you give it to him? Well because it was pointing to what he did desire, his son, Yeshua. He says, but a body, Yeshua, you have prepared 
for me. Now what's interesting about this is uh, we have to remember the context first of all. The author is saying that these sacrifices, as I said, weren't good enough. But that these same ones are going on in the temple right now. These same sacrifices are being offered while the author of Hebrews is speaking about this. Can you imagine how that would turn the world upside down? Your religious thinking? The listeners would have been thinking, it's been working for centuries. We've been making these sacrifices all the time. And you're telling me now it's changed? Well, this is why, and we're not going to look at Hebrews all the way here today, but you see that the author of Hebrews does show that the Old Testament even prophesied that there would be a better way. Uh, Jeremiah says, I'm going to make a new covenant, right? I think it's chapter 31. I'm a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Well, anyway... I'm going to take you to Psalm 40, verse 6, because this is what he's quoting here in Hebrews 10. But when you read Psalm 40, verse 6, notice something seems to be missing. It says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. My ears you have opened. Yet Hebrews is quoting it and says, you did not desire. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Why does one say a body you have prepared for me and the other say my ears you have opened? Well, the answer is because the author of Hebrews here is quoting the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Yes, that is the Bible. As a matter of fact, one out of every two quotes in the New Testament are taken from the Septuagint. And so I think any good student of Scripture needs to have the Septuagint because here he is quoting from the Septuagint, and I have it down there below for you. The same exact verse, Psalm 40, verse 6, in the Septuagint reads, Sacrifice and offering you would not have, basically, but a body you have prepared me. So Hebrews 10 is quoting the Septuagint. Now, I, I think it's extremely important to understand this because... This do not desire, did not desire, it is literally in the Hebrew or in the Septuagint in the Greek, it is saying it did not please you. Sacrifice and offering did not please, meaning it was incomplete. And then it's pointing to what would be complete, that God would prepare a body, prepare a sacrifice that would be better. That's what all of this is pointing to. Now, I'm going to look at this a little bit more because this also points us to Isaiah chapter 53, a very a messianic uh, chapter, a messianic prophecy of Yeshua coming. And that word did not desire, that desire, that word chapes in Hebrew, that same Hebrew word is the exact same Hebrew word in Isaiah when it says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. <coughs> Excuse me. It says, he has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So when it says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, this is the word that is used in Hebrews 10 when it says, you did not desire, you were not pleased but a body 
you have prepared for me. So this is also connecting all of this together, saying it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord to prepare this body that would be bruised and broken on the cross for us because that is the ultimate goal. That is what all these sacrifices in the Old Testament were pointing to, was to Yeshua. Now continuing in Hebrews 10 verse 6, it says, In burnt offerings and sacrifice, excuse me, sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. You know, in John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus responded to the Jews that were upset with him for healing on the Sabbath. And he said, you think that by reading the scriptures you have eternal life, but these are the scriptures that testify about me. In other words, these are the volumes of the book that are written about me. In other words, the Old Testament, you guys think is just about all these old sacrifices? No, it's about Yeshua. And then in verse 46 of John chapter 5, he says, If you would have believed Moses, you would have believed my words. In other words, what Moses is writing about, what the Old Testament is all about, isn't about some old covenant. It's about pointing to me. It's about pointing to a better covenant to come. Not these things that did not please me, sacrifices and offerings, but about a body that would be prepared for us today. So, the volume of the book is literally the Old Testament. He's saying, behold, I have come. In the Old Testament, it is written of me to do your will, O God. So you can't throw out the Old Testament because in so doing, you're throwing out really all what talks about Yeshua, what the new covenant is. And so it continues in verse 8 saying, previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them. In other words, just what we've been saying, it did not please him. Which are offered according to the law. Then, he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So again, it's showing that this is not a renewed covenant, as we've talked about before, but it is a new covenant. He takes away the first. Now, when you take away the first, it doesn't mean that there weren't good things in the first. It doesn't mean that there's not truth in the first, but he's saying, I am taking it completely away, and I am now giving you a new covenant. Once for all, And this is what Hebrews and Galatians is really talking about, is that he's going to get rid of the old. He still uses the principles, but in a brand new way. A brand new system. It's kind of like cake. You know, you can make uh, flour and sugar, and you can make cake with that, right? But you can throw that cake away, but you can still take the, the, the flour and the sugar, and you can make, say, cookies out of it. Something brand new using the same material. Now, that word, once for all, is used over and over and over in this book. He's trying to drill this in our head that, you see, in the old covenant, it was going to fail because it wouldn't be good enough. It was never going to be good enough. It could not take away sins. But now, under the new, 
There's one sacrifice, the body that was prepared. And now it is for everybody, and it is for one time only, not day after day, not continually. Verse 13, in that he says, a new covenant he has made, the first obsolete. Again, not, not renewed, new. Now, what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Why does he say becoming here in verse 13? Well, because there's a period of transition that was taking place here. You, you have to remember when the author of Hebrews is writing this, that the temple sacrifices were still being offered. There was no need for it. But the people were in transition. The people were understanding Yeshua is our better mediator. He is our better priest. He is our better sacrifice. He is the final sacrifice. And so that's why he says now what is becoming obsolete. Because Yeshua even said that this place is going to go away. And in 70 AD, that's exactly what happens. Those, the, the temple and the sacrifices were ended. And forever, as we will talk about. Verse 10 says, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. We've touched on that. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, again, that once for all, sat down at the right hand of God. You see, the, the priests in the old covenant, the old temple, they would never sit down. Their job was never done daily. But Jesus finished it so that he could sit down. Verse 13, from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So once more, we see the body that was prepared back from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. None of the animals that were ever sacrificed in the Old Testament were resurrected. But this sacrifice, the body that was prepared, this single one sacrifice forever, resurrected. And this is why Paul says in Corinthians that if the resurrection has not happened, our faith is in vain because the whole new covenant falls apart without the resurrected Jesus. And so this is so important. And the reason that I am taking you here you're going to see here. I'm, I'm drilling this into your head for a reason. In verse 15 again, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days that the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. He is quoting Jeremiah chapter 31. Then he goes on here in verse 17 and he says, then he adds their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. And so, in quoting Jeremiah 31, shows that he had just stated the sins in the Old Covenant, you had to be reminded of them every year. Every time you had the Day of Atonement, you were reminded of, of all your sins. You were reminded, ultimately, that there needed to be something better under the New Covenant that Jeremiah 31 was prophesying and giving hope for. Because you see, now under that new, those sins would not be remembered anymore. Okay? Again, you go back to Hebrews 10, verse 3. It says, in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. That's what it was under the old. But under the new, there's no reminder. As a matter of fact, it's remembered 
no more. If that isn't one of the most beautiful, um, important truths for us to digest, to meditate upon, to realize, and to take to heart, I don't know what is. That our sins are remembered no more. That's exactly what we see throughout Scripture in a lot of different ways. In Hebrews 10, verse 18, that's what we looked at. Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Why? Because the sins are gone. They're not remembered anymore. This is why in John 19, verse 30, Jesus said, It is finished. It's done. It is complete. The things that Jesus spoke was declaring what he would do. That at the end of Psalm 22, it says he is, he is vindicated. In Isaiah 53, it says it pleased God to, to bring this body so that the Old Testament would clearly indicate that there was something new coming and that it would be better and that it would finish and be complete. The sacrificial system, folks, is done. And so people who say, how can you believe in the Torah? How can you accept the Old Testament, but yet still believe in Yeshua? Because we understand that Yeshua is the, 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 the sacrifice. It's finished. Well, because when we accept the Torah, we have to remember that th that Torah was pointing to Yeshua. It was not a replacement of him. It was pointing to to him. And so I believe in what points to the ultimate sacrifice. Now, even Daniel supports this. Look, back in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, this isn't something that the Old Testament was ignorant of. It was pointing us to this truth. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. To do what? To finish the transgression. To finish sin. Our sins are remembered no more. Also, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, reconciliation, to make us right with God, to bring in everlasting righteousness, everlasting, once for all. We don't need to be reminded of our sins year after year. It's done. And to seal up vision and prophecy. In other words, Jesus, all those prophecies are complete in Yeshua and to anoint the Most Holy, Yeshua. This is what Psalms 103 verse 12 also says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Not covered, not hidden, removed. Now, all of this that I have been saying is leading up to this very point. That today, ironically and sadly, there are some who believe that this old system is going to be reinstituted. Uh, as a matter of fact, in Israel today, we have what's called the Temple Institute, and they have everything ready for this third temple to be built again. And as a matter of fact, many Christians, most of the money that is raised for the Temple Institute has come from Christians who are so misled and do not understand this very point. You see, everybody is watching for this third temple to be rebuilt because they think that this has to happen before the Lord is going to come back. 
And the Antichrist is going to come in and desecrate this temple. As a matter of fact, many uh, people have asked Jewish rabbis, what are you going to do when the Antichrist comes and defiles this temple? Their answer is, he's not going to defile that temple. They don't believe that that's going to happen. Now, I'm not going to get into all the details of it for, at this point, but I just want you to understand that the Jews are chomping at the bit to get this temple rebuilt so that these sacrifices can be made again. This is how they used to be forgiven is through this. They, they want these sacrifices to be reinstituted, and yet the Bible is saying, no, they shouldn't be reinstituted, not these sin sacrifices, because Jesus is the end of it. And so without understanding Yeshua, which these you know, Orthodox Jews do not, no wonder they're chomping at the bit to get this thing built again. And Christians are the ones that are helping them. What Christians ought to be doing, rather than giving money to get this temple rebuilt, they ought to be giving money to share the gospel to these people. To let them know that their sins have been removed, forgiven. Now, I want to show some verses that are used to support that these sacrifices are going to be reinstituted. Okay? First of all, Acts chapter 21, verse 26. People say, well, you, you, you don't understand the New Testament because even Paul um, believed that these should continue. Look, he says, Paul took the men. Let me, actually, let me give you some background here first because what's going on here is that Paul has come to Jerusalem and these people, these Christian believers, are saying, listen, the word has gone out that you are telling people that we should not keep Torah obey the commandments of God and follow the traditions that God has given us. And to, to make sure that people don't believe this lie, we're asking you to take this vow and do this offering. And does Paul do it? Yes. Rather than saying, oh, no, I'm not going to do that because I've got to teach you that, that Jesus is the only sacrifice, Paul does it. Why? Not to support the offering, but to show that he believes Torah is still in effect, but in a new way, in a new covenant. Paul clearly understood the new covenant. I mean, he's the one that probably is writing the book of Hebrews. He, he wrote Galatians. He wrote all of these things, most of the New Testament. So he clearly understood. So it would be a contradiction for him to do this if he basically believed that the uh, Old Testament sacrifices needed to continue to be made while preaching that Jesus completed it. Look what it says. Paul took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. So, if Paul himself, as I said, is making offerings after, after Christ has died and resurrected, shouldn't we then say that there's a contradiction? Because in a Nazarite vow, which this seems to be, there were indeed sin sacrifices that were made. Well, I, I don't think that we're getting the full context here. I think one of the things that we need to understand to help explain this verse is that, first of all, the context of it isn't to support the sacrifices, it's to support that the Old Testament is still valid, that, that 
God has not gotten rid of the Torah. The second thing is, is we're going to look here at Matthew 8, verse 2 to get some more context here for what's even going on there in Acts 21. We have to understand that we are in a transition period. Remember, the sacrifices were still being made. But I don't think that, obviously this isn't the Day of Atonement. It's not one of these things that is to try to take away the sins. In Matthew 8, 2, we see that Jesus heals this leper. And this is going to help us understand, I think, in a little way, what's going on here with Paul in Acts chapter 21. That he's not getting rid of the law. He's not um, telling them to stop celebrating these festivals and so on. But let's look at what Jesus says here in this, in this uh, the leper coming to him. A leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed, and Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So, normally what would happen is only a priest could pronounce a leper clean according to the law of God. After that, after that the priest would pronounce him clean, there was a sacrifice that was to be offered to basically forgive them of their sins and so on, right? Well, Jesus here has now pronounced him clean. First of all, he's taking the role of a priest here, all right? And after he pronounces him clean, he says, now go to the priest, these other guys, as Moses has commanded. So he's going to do everything that Moses commanded in there. So there was going to go and there would be an offering made. But why? What was the point? Jesus has already cleansed them. Jesus has already forgiven them. And basically we see this in every healing that Jesus makes. He also pronounces a forgiveness of sins there as well. And so Jesus has already done what these priests are supposed to do. But Jesus sends them to the priest for two reasons. One, to keep the commands of Moses. And two, to do it as a testimony. A witness. That's exactly what Paul was doing in Acts chapter 21. He did this as a testimony to the people to support the, the, the law of Moses. Not to receive forgiveness of sins, but as a testimony in this weird transition period where here Jesus has not yet died, but he was going to. He was going to take away the sins, but yet Jesus just did take away the sins. He said, your sins are forgiven, even without any of these other sacrifices. But he says, you still go do this. Why? Because it's a testimony. And that is what Paul was doing in Acts chapter 1. In this weird transition period, he is simply testifying that the law of Moses is still good and valid, but it has been changed. It is changed in that it is now written on our hearts and so on. Just like here, they're already forgiven. There's no need for this sacrifice because Jesus forgave them, but it needs to be done as a testimony. So 
I'm going to show you another verse that is often used here to show that the sacrifices are going to continue even though Jesus has put an end to them. In Zechariah 14 it says, It shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which come against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, keeping the Feast of Tabernacles doesn't mean a sacrifice, but I want to give you some background here as well, that this is talking about the age to come. This is a future thing. This seems to be in that more millennial reign period. But the sacrifices that are going to be done here and mentioned are not sin sacrifices. Verse 17 goes on, It shall be that what whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem, to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, on, on them, there will be no rain. So they're going to come up to Jerusalem. And it's, this verse is going to continue to show that there is a sacrifice that is done. But these people who are coming up to Jerusalem are not the, your, your, your believers that have been brought to Jerusalem. These are people who are outside of Jerusalem coming up year after year to worship the King. And if they don't, they will get no rain. Verse 20 goes on. In that day, holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. In that day, there shall be there shall no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. So, they'll tell you, isn't this strong evidence being made that sacrifices will continue in the millennial reign? Yes. However, what do you mean by a sacrifice? A sin offering? No. But for a different purpose. Not sacrifices for forgiveness, but sacrifices in thanksgiving. That is the key right there. Do you know in the Old Testament there were all kinds of things even before the Aaronic priesthood was instituted that were done. Remember, um, we see uh, Abel, Cain and Abel, they make an offering to the Lord, don't they? We see that Jacob, he makes an offering to the Lord. We see this happening time and time again because not all sacrifices involve animals and not all sacrifices are for forgiveness. We have sacrifices, grain offerings that are made, wine that is poured out, oil that is poured out. And just to give you an insight into this, even the Jewish people, some Orthodox Jews, understand it in this way. I'm going to take you to Richard H. Swartz from the Jewish Virtual Library. And it gives you some insight into the Jewish thought that what they believe is going to happen when this new temple is built. Okay. Now keep in mind that these people, he, he's writing from a perspective where they do not believe that Jesus has come as the Messiah in his first coming. They don't believe in two comings of Yeshua. They believe in one coming that hasn't happened yet. Here's what they say. Many Jewish scholars, such as Rabbi Cook, believe that animal sacrifices will not be reinstated in Messianic times, even with the reestablishment of the temple. 
They believe that at that time, human conduct will have advanced to such high standards that there will no longer be need for animal sacrifices to atone for sins. Isn't that amazing? They believe that our standards, people will become so pure, there will be no need for sacrifice. Well, you see how close they are to the truth here? That's exactly what Yeshua has done. Jesus came, he has taken away our sins, so there is no longer a need for animal sacrifices. So what they think is going to happen has already happened. They have this concept from their perspective of returning to the Garden of Eden where people are perfect. Well, that's in essence what Jesus has come to do. It's just that they missed it on Jesus' first coming. It continues and it says, only non-animal sacrifices. In other words, like I was telling you, grains and wine. And for what purpose? To express gratitude to God would remain. This is what Zechariah 14 is talking about. Yes, there will be sacrifices and offerings made, but not sin offerings, not animal sacrifices. I mean, think about it. In the Garden of Eden, there was no death. Likewise, when the Lord comes back, there will be no death. Therefore, there will be no animal sacrifices. Now, maybe in the millennial reign, things can still die at that point. But uh, again, I, I think regardless, we're looking here at grain offerings and wine offerings. He goes on and he says, there is a midrash that states, basically a commentary on scripture. In the messianic era, all offerings will cease except the thanksgiving offering, which will continue forever. This seems to be consistent with the belief of Rabbi Cook and others based on the prophecy of Isaiah 11, 6 through 9, that people and animals will be vegetarian in that time and none shall hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. In other words, the lion will lay down with the lamb, a child will play in the viper's pit, all of these kind of things. We could look at not only that, but Jeremiah 31 in the New Covenant, Daniel 9, Psalm 40, all agreeing with what Isaiah 11 is talking about here. That these sacrifices are for, for, not for forgiveness, but for thanksgiving and praise. Remember that even in the Old Testament, as I was saying, that these sacrifices did not take away sin. Even when they were offered, it didn't take away the sin. It was only to point us to what would take away the sin. Yeshua, a body you have prepared for me. I think possibly as well that many of these sacrifices that are going to take place aren't to take away sins and to do any of that, but to give thanks for what Jesus did do in remembrance of me. Just like Jesus says in communion, as often as you do this, do this. Not for forgiveness, but in remembrance of the forgiveness that I did give in the past. They were pointing to what Jesus would do in the Old Testament and in the new to come, Zechariah, they will point to what Jesus did do. A remembrance, a memorial. It's that simple. And so when we hear people saying that sacrifices are going to be reinstituted, I think we need to define what that sacrifice really means. And we need to be careful that we're not supporting this idea of this third temple that the Jews, to, to get them to reinstitute 
these animal sacrifices for forgiveness, we need to point them to Jesus, showing that what was once done time and time was only to point to what once did happen on the cross that was once forever. That is key to what's going on here. I'm going to kind of close here, taking you back to Hebrews 10, verse 19, and seeing this kind of full circle, that it was by the blood of Yeshua that we enter, not by the blood of animals. It says, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, the most holy place, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. You see, Jesus is alive, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And when his flesh was torn, he opened up the veil for us to go into the new Jerusalem, into heaven. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. See guys, in the Old Testament, the people were trying to draw near to God when they made the sacrifices. That's what they were trying to do. See verse 22 there? Let us draw near now with a true heart and full assurance of faith. You see, one day, on that day of atonement, that high priest would draw near to the throne of God by getting to go into the holy place. And here he's saying, but now, under the new, under the living way, under Yeshua, when Jesus died, that curtain was torn. We have access to draw near to God in full assurance of faith. That's the new. That's the better. You see, in the old, they drew near through these daily and yearly sacrifices. Now, we draw near through Yeshua once for all because he's what allows us to draw near to God and only him. So how can I believe in Torah and yet the New Testament? Well, because I understand Torah the way it was meant to be. Torah pointing to Yeshua. As Jesus said, these are the things that testify about me. As Jesus did on the road to Emmaus, he used Torah to point them to him. That's how I can be a Torah observant believer in Yeshua. By realizing it all points to the new and better way of Jesus Christ.